I wanted to take this moment to tell you about a program I am in that helps women navigate the journey of realizing their lesbians while in relationships with men. It's a 12-week support program called Coming Out on the Other Side. It is hosted by one of my early podcast guests, Emily Better. Some of the topics include the three stages of coming out later in life, understanding why you didn't figure this out sooner, and why this is so hard. You will go from being scared, confused, lacking confidence, hiding your true self, and feeling alone, guilty, and misunderstood, to overcoming fears, understanding and embracing who you are, being confident in yourself and your decisions, and ultimately being able to come out and live as your authentic self if and when you're ready. Learn more by going to thelatelifelesbian.com. Welcome to the Lesby Honest Podcast. Today I have Marissa. I recently met her at a Pride event and she invited me to her church, an affirming church, and I went there yesterday with her and really enjoyed it. And I just wanted to have her on the show to kind of talk about her story, her background history, and her process coming out, and then finally finding her person and all of that. So if you could give us a little bit of your background, I'd love to hear that. I'll try and give you the Reader's Digest version. You know, I think like a lot of people, there's so many layers to it. Backtracking just a little, mom was raised Church of Christ. Dad was raised Roman Catholic. Mom converted from Church of Christ to marry my dad in the Catholic Church. And then they raised us. I was raised preschool through 12th grade in Catholic schools. So I have a really solid faith foundation there. Growing up, I loved Jesus. I, I liked going to church. And in fourth grade, I told my family, when I grow up, I want to be a nun. I'm going to join a religious order. I loved Jesus and just wanted that in my life. And then fifth grade, I asked for a Bible for my birthday and started reading through it from Genesis. I wanted to make my way all the way through. And I don't know how or even why I started gravitating towards all those traditional clobber verses. And that was all I'd focus on. It was about a year that I was trying to read through the Bible and read different books, but I'd keep going back, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Romans, Corinthians. And so I put my Bible on a bookshelf, wouldn't touch it voluntarily again for over 20 years. And then at that point, things started going downhill. Depression set in around sixth grade. I knew since I was seven that I was different. There's something different about me. I didn't know how at the time, you know, I was seven. I didn't have the language for it. But just very intrinsically, I knew I'm not like all the other girls. That followed me all the way through grade school into junior high. And it really started hitting home more for me, sixth grade into seventh grade, eighth grade. So the depression hit hard and just kept getting worse. And then two months after I turned 14, I attempted suicide. And I can say now, thank God, thank God I was not successful. But I did pull a two-week stint in an inpatient juvenile psych facility. That was after telling everybody what they wanted to hear, what I thought was going to get me out of there real quick. And it still took two weeks. I lied to myself, too. I knew what was there. I knew the truth that was there, but I wasn't going to acknowledge it. Why do I feel different? What's different about me? Well, it's because, and I'd walk right up to that line, but I wouldn't cross over it. It was that truth sitting shoulder to shoulder with me right there on the couch. I'm not going to acknowledge you. You're not here. I don't see you. I don't hear you. You don't exist. I got into high school. Things got a little bit better. I went to an all-girls high school, but 
things were okay. Things were great until all my girlfriends started finding boys and dating. And this one's got a new boyfriend. And I was just there. I think it was the summer going into my junior year. A few of them said, hey, we're going to find you a boyfriend. Junior year is the year you're going to have a boyfriend. We're going to find you a great guy. And I thought, yeah, great. And I'm really going to be one of the girls. Yes, that's all I need. I just need a boyfriend. And then junior year started. And I thought, eh, I don't need a boyfriend. And then senior year, if this should have told everybody everything, a friend of mine had a birthday. Her birthday and, and mine were a day or two apart. And she wanted to celebrate by going to La Bear, which is a male strip joint here in Dallas. My little friend group said, hey, let's do a double birthday celebration for both of you. Come to La Bear with us. Okay, yes, I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. This is what the girls do. And I'm one of the girls. I can do this. And they said, okay, well, we're going to put the plans together and then we'll call you and let you know when and where we're going to meet. And uh, the day came and I hadn't heard from them. So I went to the movies with mom and they called to let me know right as the movie was starting, hey, come out with us. And they called two or three times, but I didn't pick up. I let it go to voicemail because I was watching Miss Congeniality and Sandy Bullock. Come on now. Especially <laughs> in that pink dress. Oh my God, yes. So Sandy Bullock in a tight-fitting pink dress or hash naked dudes riding on a stage just was not my thing. But still, I would not acknowledge it. Then fast forward a little bit, I ended up getting involved with someone at work, a woman towards the end of my senior year in high school. And word got back to my family. I was confronted about it. It was not pleasant for any of us. And ultimately, I was told, get out and don't come back. That lasted about a year. And then we started talking again. And we were in contact, but it was always, it was strained. And it was difficult. And it, it didn't help that the relationship I was in was abusive. And every way but physical. But, you know, I didn't know how to navigate that. That was the first time in my life I was dating someone. I didn't have that education and experience that everyone else does in junior high and going into high school. So I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to navigate the fact that I'm attracted to a woman and in a relationship with a woman. Because before I was outed, I didn't come out. I was outed. And I only let myself acknowledge my truth three weeks before that. So I had very little lead time. And I remember the night that I actually said it to myself. And I was driving home thinking, oh, my God, I'm gay. And then I had those two little voices, those opposing voices on each shoulder. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. But it makes sense. It's wrong. But it feels natural. This is what makes sense and feels right. It's an abomination. You're going to hell. You can't tell anybody. And truly, I couldn't say anything to anyone. There was no one I trusted that I could go to. No friends, no adults. I was just trying to figure this out on my own. And this was in 2001, 2002. So there wasn't a whole lot on the internet in ways of chat rooms, Facebook groups. There was nowhere I could go to find people like me. And say, hey, how do we do this? What are you doing? How are you doing it? What do I do? I can say now, though, I could not have a better relationship with my folks. 
our relationship has pulled a complete 180. And they're tremendously supportive. They may actually love my girlfriend, though, just a little more than they love me. They ask about her all the time. And when she drives in, she doesn't live locally. We're doing a long distance thing. Mom will say, well, 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 let me know when she gets in. Let me know when she leaves. She shouldn't leave that early. It makes me nervous that she's on the road at 4 a.m. So to see where we've come from get out to bring your girlfriend into the family, she's, she's ours. She's us. It's just tremendous. And I think it gives other folks hope. You know, it, it took a while. It took nearly two decades, but it happened. And I've spoken with a lot of folks here lately who are just recently open with their folks about it, a couple of weeks, a few months, and they've been kicked out. Their parents will talk with them. They're lost. They don't know what to do. And it's not a guarantee that all parents are going to come around, not all do. But I think having that little bit of hope tends to help just spur you along. It helps you keep going and putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, that's an amazing story. So you were basically outed at 18, right? And then mm-hmm. in, in your, and you yeah. said that it took about 17 years for them to come full circle. But I think we were talking about yesterday and you said you, you don't really know what that process was for them, but that it was a gradual one of coming to terms and being accepting and all of that. I probably should sit down and talk with my folks about that. I I am curious to know what happened. Was it talking with other people? Was it reading books? Was it just examining your heart and looking at the kind of person I am? I'm not different. I'm the same person I've always been. You just know something extra about me. I can't blame them. I can't blame them. I blame the church because Church of Christ for my mom, I mean, talk about fundamentalist teaching. And my granddad was an elder in the church. So she was really deep in it. And then, of course, Catholicism is not a friend to our community. In fact, at this point, I refuse to identify as Catholic or set foot in a Catholic church unless I absolutely have to. I just won't. But it's, it's generational. My folks were born in the 50s, and in, it's the church. You do the best you can with what you have, and then when you know better, you do better. I've seen that with my folks, and, and I'm immensely grateful for it. Uh, I know not, not everyone gets that opportunity with their family, and, and I'm lucky that I do. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious if you had a process of, I guess people refer to it as reconciliation between faith and sexuality and those clobber passages and all of that. If, there, if you like read books or what your process looked like. It was ugly. I didn't want it. I don't want to be gay, right? I'm outed. It feels right and it makes sense. And all the little puzzle pieces are fitting together, but I don't want this. I don't want it. And early on, I kept thinking, well, I can get out of this relationship and I can find a guy and I can just pass it off as a base. I just have to find the right guy. That's all. And it just kind of ooked me out thinking about being in a relationship with a guy, and not just physically, but relationally emotionally, just having that soul connection with a guy did not feel right. It was very unnatural, but I kept fighting it because I'm sitting here going, I don't want to be gay. I don't want to be gay. I wrestled with myself a while and then started wrestling with God. And I'm going, wait a minute, how can, how can you, God, say I'm an abomination? I didn't choose this. There, there was no conscious decision. 
I mean, I knew when I was seven that there was something going on. I didn't know anything about gay. I didn't know what gay is. So can you condemn me? And I, I pushed that away. I thought, you know what? F you, F this, F the church. I'm done. If you don't want me, I don't want you. I don't need you. I'm a strong woman. I can do this on my own. At that point, I pretty much swung atheist. And I was really dismissive of Christians and scoffed at them. It didn't last long. There was just some little niggling something deep down inside that, that just made me miss the church and made me miss having a faith. But I didn't know how to get back to it. I still thought you can be gay or you can be Christian, but you can't be both. That's impossible. It just doesn't work. So I came back to faith. Yeah, okay, I believe in God, but I don't want to go to church. Christians are terrible people, and I don't need to be told that I'm going to hell. Turn or burn. Repent and be saved. I was on the outside looking in saying, I want that, but I don't want that part of it. And my sister made me godmother of her first child. It always bothered me. I thought, how can I be a godparent to this child when my faith life is, it exists, but it's not active. It's just, it's dormant. It's just sitting there. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know where to go, who to talk to, how to work through that. So I just, just kind of sat with it. And uh, I did that for, oh gosh, a good 10 years or so. And I didn't think about it a whole lot because I got back into school. Went back to college, got my associate's degree, then my bachelor's, and finally got my master's. And I was so busy between school and taking, well, it was just a half load, but I was trying to hold on to that 4.0 GPA and then work. I worked full time and sometimes I'd work 13, 14, 15 hour days, sometimes two or three days like that back to back. So I was working nights, I was working weekends. And then I had someone living with me that, that I was trying to help get back on their feet so I'm tending to them too. And that was basically my life, work, school, and helping. Some folks I had been friends with talked one day about faith and God, and I'm interested in this. And, and they were gay as well, and they were questioning. And so that kind of brought me back into it. And it, it started slowly from there, but I started questioning things and looking at things a little deeper. and realized, okay, maybe everything that I was taught isn't completely accurate. And what blew the bar doors open for me was reading Justin Lee's book, Torn. Talk about mind opening. I mean, it just changed my world. And I realized, okay, yeah, there's something to this. Everything I was taught as a kid is not the truth. But what is the truth? And so I started reading blogs, and, and I read Matthew Vine's book, God and the Gay Christian, and that just pushed me even further forward. I found a church. It's a, it was a, a gay church. It is. It's still in existence. It's a gay church. And the, the people there were amazing. Welcomed me in from my first day, treated me like family. They became family immediately. But I was the youngest person there by about 20 years, so I didn't really have that peer group that I needed. And I didn't have folks who I could say, hey, you want to meet up for lunch or something one night or come over for dinner? We'll grab pizza and a movie. I was, I was still alone, even though I had Bramley 
and in a faith community and, and Bible studies and people who were slowly helping me work through these studies and these questions. I was going to Bible study Sunday mornings before church and then church service and then Bible study Wednesday evenings. And then I found some groups through Meetup some social groups and join that because I don't have the peer groups that I need. And I met some really, really amazing folks and developed some tremendous friendships. And ultimately that led me to the church I'm at now. But I realized it was community. I needed people, most specifically people who understood exactly what I was going through. Allies are great. Love my allies. They're, they're vital. They, we can't do this without them. But there are some spheres where you just need your own kind, people who really get it because they live it. And that it was just just a slow process with people. And those people have become family. They're some of the very, very best, most amazing people I know. And I cannot imagine my life without them now at this point. If I wanted to move away from Dallas, go live in the mountains somewhere in Alaska, I can't. I can't leave my church behind. And I've got my folks here too. So that, that's, I've got my folks tying me to Dallas and I've got my church tying me to Dallas. <laughs> Other than that, if I didn't have them, oh yeah, I'd be on a plane to Alaska and leaving out there with the bears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be a mountain woman. That sounds fun. I've, I haven't been to Alaska. Right? That's on my list. For sure. You need to go. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want you to move either because I just met you and oh, I'm and- first a friend. Oh. So yeah. Or at least... In Dallas, I guess I should say. So, and how long have you been going to the church? So the church got its start in, I think we opened officially the first Sunday in November of 2019. Oh, so you were there from the get-go. Okay. I was there from the get-go. There's this whole creation story to the church and why it exists. And it's just so beautiful. That's a story that probably should come from our pastor or the elder team that created the church. But it's a beautiful story written by incredibly beautiful people. I wanted a part of that. This is the community that I felt I needed that was going to help me on to the next chapters. It was great. It was it was amazing. I loved it from the get-go. And then COVID hit. So we didn't shut down, but we did go online. And that was, it was helpful, but I, I missed that in-person connection. There's just something about being in the same space as other people that you love and admire and respect and who love you. Being able to give them a hug, being able to just put a hand on a shoulder and say, hey, I'm praying for you. What what can I do? That was getting hard around August of 2020. I was really itching to get back to church with everybody. And then we finally did come back. God, it was Easter of 21. And oh my gosh, that was just the greatest gift. Just being back with my church family. So, as I had mentioned in the beginning, I went to your church yesterday, and they're doing a series right now called Sticks and Stones Mm -hmm. about gender and sexuality and all of that, rethinking it and stuff. And the sermon yesterday was about Matthew 19, I believe, about the eunuch and how Mm -hmm. Jesus said he was born that way, or that some eunuchs are born that way. And for those who don't know what that is, it's intersex people could apply under that banner maybe even trans people could apply under that and i kind of feel like if we can get people to maybe even start there if jesus himself is 
saying that some people are born not fully male, not fully female, or having some kind of difference, whether it's literally physically a difference or mentally or whatever. Biologically, there's not this binary, like, when it comes to sexuality and everything, it's like there's a a spectrum. The Kinsey scale for sexuality and then, of course, what gender all kinds of different permutations i guess so i don't know i feel like in a way that might be an easier pill to swallow maybe or for someone for Mm. someone to kind of understand starting from that and then i guess right like a baby step sort of entry into the much larger world right exactly yeah and those books you mentioned i've read those i've read i mean i i've read a whole bunch Mm. on the issue and yeah it's like the verses that people call the clobber passages are related to in ancient times it was more pedestry which i guess is kind of like pedophilia but more like a master slave type situation Mm -hmm. domination and violence and all this stuff it wasn't you know committed yeah same-sex couples partners like that wasn't Mm -hmm. i mean maybe it was a thing back then but it wasn't like they knew about sexual orientation like the science wasn't out there obviously and all of that so i think it's good that there's all these books out there now that kind of dive deep like karen keen and actually yes for the people listening (laughs) to this in the show notes for this episode but then also on the website i'll have a link to all these different books we're talking about i definitely recommend picking up a few but yeah karen keen Sally Gary, of course. Mm-hmm. They're married, Karen Keene and Sally. Yes. But there's so many. Yeah, and the the God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, then the Justin Lee one. I mean, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like in each book, there's something, some kind of tidbit or takeaway that isn't in any of the other books. Like, so each book, mm-hmm. I'm learning something new. Right, right. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's not just gay Christians in their books. Uh, there are some straight allies, like Kathy Baldock has written a tremendous book, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. Oh, um, I heard that one. That, that's an amazing book. The woman is a treasure. But reading her books and going to her talks at conferences is like trying to take a sip of water from a fire hose. This woman has done her research. And she has put together so much information. And, you know, I think people read this. If, if they'd read this, how can they refute? How can they say, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's still wrong. It's an abomination. You know, God doesn't make people this way. Okay. So you were talking earlier about a, a spectrum mm-hmm. and binaries. And, you know, I got to thinking, I actually wrote a blog post about this a while back because it, it bugged me. <laughs> you know, it, let's, let's, let's look at all the, the species of trees we have on ours, right? You've got maple trees and oak trees and pine trees and, and flowers. Look at all the different kinds of flowers that exist out there. How about fish in the sea? Oh, my. Uh, oh, Wow. My girlfriend and I just went scuba diving in Bermuda, and the different fish we saw was mind-blowing. There were so many different fish, big fish, little bitty fish. We saw a puffer fish. That was pretty cool. 
but there's so much diversity on earth. How can you believe? I, I just have a hard time believing myself. I'll put it that way. I have a hard time believing myself that God went through this whole process to create so much diversity, you know, in land and plants and animals. But then he got to humans and just kind of phoned it in and said, yeah, male, female, and you like each other and that's it. Mm. That really short changes God. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's give God a little more credit. Why, why can human beings not have that same diversity in terms of gender identity, sexuality? Yeah, and one of the things that Karen King talks about in her book is like how when God created Eve, well, the reason he created Eve was because the animals, landscape, just all of that stuff wasn't suitable as a a companion or a helper or whatever Mm -hmm. for Adam. And so he created another human, happened to be a woman, and people get hung up on that, but he created another (laughs) human as a companion, but that Adam was focused on the sameness that it's another human, not the Mm -hmm. fact that she's different, visually different, but still human. And so I thought that was uh, like from her book, from Karen Keene's book, that was kind of something that really stuck out to me that I had never heard or never thought of about Mm -hmm. how it's actually not because people get so focused on gender differences and complementarianism Mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's like, actually, God created Eve, another human, Mm -hmm. as animals and whatnot else won't work and when adam saw her he wasn't focused on the fact that she's different he was focusing on her the similarities and the sameness and then even i think she talks about like how the kinship bond or like bone of my bone flesh of my flesh and how that's actually not necessarily in relation to sexually or becoming one flesh like sexually but more a kinship bond like you'd have with family or friends but in a different way i thought that was fascinating there have been so many different perspectives that have really gotten me to think and my pastor actually i think it was the week before last but he did a sermon and explained how scholars who are looking at bible translations are ahead of where current conversations are now with the general population we're still stuck on these clobber passages and these scholars are 10 20 years ahead of us going oh yeah we already know those that's problematic so we're moving on never would have known that yeah i think i actually i listened to that episode that Mm -hmm. on the podcast today of the table that's the name of the church, by the way. I guess we hadn't mentioned that. So if anyone's oh, yes. in the DFW area and wants to go to an affirming church, that is an option for you. It's in Saxe, Texas. So yeah, I was listening to that episode earlier today. And yeah, it was basically like even the traditional scholars, the traditional theologians have basically concluded that the clobber passages aren't even the issue, that it's not in any way related to what we see today with same-sex mm-hmm. committed monogamous couples. So their focus now, their only focus is on the whole God created the male and female and man will leave his parents and cleave to his wife and, you know, that kind of stuff. And plus the whole oh, yeah, and all that. But it's like with the procreation debate, it's like, There's plenty of straight couples who are married who either can't have kids 
they're t- or they're too old to have kids or they simply don't want kids. I was married mm-hmm. for 18 years and I presumed that we could have had kids, but we just kind of kept pushing it off and preventing it. Then by the procreation standard, then we technically weren't. You didn't have the proper biblical marriage. And that's the thing. I mean, back then, marriages weren't about love and commitment and relationship like they are today, for the most part. I mean, some may have been. It was a property transaction. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll give you a couple of goats and pigs and, and a flock of sheep for your girl. Yeah. You know, that's, this is why a father gives away his daughter to the groom at their wedding. It's, it's oh, a remnant of the that. patriarchal society. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. It's you one know, man handing his property over to another man. Oh, wow. See, uh-huh. when we got married, I actually, I didn't know that that was what that was based on, but I didn't really, I had, both of my parents are alive and thankfully they still are. I was like, it doesn't make sense to me that only my dad would walk me down. So I actually had both parents walk me down. Even though I don't know of anyone else. I mean, I'm sure other people do it, but I've never seen it. But it just felt right to me because I'm like, they're both living. Why wouldn't they both walk me down the aisle? But I love that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Plus, they were like, what, 14 or really young. Right. Being married right. to men at least twice their age. On top of the fact that marriage was primarily back then for procreation for the purpose of, uh, yeah, I guess filling the earth, which isn't as big of an issue now. But it was also to pass the name down, like mm-hmm. the the husband's name down. Well, I guess that's why they wanted sons so bad and would sometimes kill the daughters. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So even marriage back then was a lot different than it is now. And I would argue that mm-hmm. marriage now makes a whole lot more sense. Like it, you get married for love mm-hmm. and companionship and all of that stuff. So yes, it's wild to me. What what really gets me is these folks who just really hammer home Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh. Sodom and Gomorrah, the homosexuals, they blah, blah, blah. Have you read Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50? This was the sin of your sister Sodom. She was hot inhospitable. Come on, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the Bible and other places references it and tells you what the sin was. Yeah, people were... It was like a gang rape situation that they were attempting. Mm-hmm. You know, someone was visiting Lot. And yeah, then, two angels visiting Lot. Yeah, and I forget the, all the details, but basically... The townspeople wanted to gang rape these two angel visitors that, to yeah. exert their power and control. And Lot said, no, no, I'll offer you my daughters instead. Hmm. Because that's better. Hey, let me protect these strangers, but you can have my girls. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Why are we not focusing? Why are we not focusing on this? Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's okay. We're not going to talk about that part. But I mean, some people say the whole strange flesh thing could be because they were angels. But regardless, the fact is they were wanting to rape people to show dominance and control and what, which apparently was common back then. Like, that's what they did. And so the sin was actually in hospitality of strangers and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, we could probably, we could break down every verse. That's a little taste. If people really wanted to learn more about that, they can read all the books we mentioned. But so I'd love to hear about your girlfriend. 
and how and how y'all met and how that's going and then obviously the fact that your parents are supportive now of that we met on bumble let me tell you this online dating's brutal i was on facebook dating and bumble and her and tinder match okay cupid plenty of fish you name it you know i'm casting a wide net because I, I want to find the woman who I'm eventually going to spend the rest of my life with. The woman who I am going to grow old and gray with. She could be anywhere. Years back, I didn't even want to be married. Companionship's great. I, I'm cool just dating and, and being exclusive with someone. I don't want to get married. I don't want to move in with anybody. My last relationship lasted almost four years. And it was within that relationship that I realized, you know what? I do kind of want that. I want to be married. I want to come home to the same woman every night the rest of my life and cook dinner together and eat dinner together and talk about our days and binge watch nerdy documentaries and go hiking and scuba diving and bicycling and play pickleball. And so that was just not going to happen in that last relationship. And, and that was me. I changed the rules of the game there. We both went into that relationship wanting the exact same thing, just someone to be exclusive to. We didn't want to move in. No one wanted to get married. And I think that's a testament to how well she treated me, that I, I changed my mind and thought, no, this is, this is a good thing. This is something I do truly want. So I got on all the apps, all the websites, you name it. Oh, let me tell you, that was, that was a nightmare. There's so many fake profiles out there and scammers. And there were some women just looking for a bed buddy. I'll put it that way. I wasn't sure whether to be flattered or just insulted that it was being treated like a piece of meat. On the one hand, it's a true ego boost for a woman to say, well, if you change your mind, you're hot AF. <laughs> okay, thanks. So I was about ready to get off. I had been on the apps for a year and I'd take a week break here and there. And I was talking with four different women these last few weeks and one by one, each dropped off. And I was just waiting for this last one to drop off. And, you know, it wasn't going to work anyway because she doesn't live locally. She's out of state. And my previous girlfriend lives 15 minutes from me, but I didn't see her enough. I never saw her enough during the week. And towards the end, I had to ask for attention and ask for time. And if that's happening when she lives 15 minutes away, there's no way. A long-distance out-of-state relationship's going to work, which sucked because I really like this girl. She has a great profile. Looks like we're going to fit really well. But you know what? She's going to drop off too, just like all the others have. I've been ghosted so many times because that's the mature adult thing to do. So I just, I'm, I'm going to wait for her to, to leave and then I'm going to shut down all my accounts. And I just want to be alone for a little while. You know, I want to reset, recalibrate, just focus on me. And I'll get back to it eventually. Well, this last one, what do you know? She didn't drop off. She just held on and held on. And we kept chatting. And, and she said, do you want to have a phone call? Yeah, that'd be great. So our first phone call, I think we were on the phone about three hours. And uh, we had another phone call. I think two or three days later, same thing. We were just on the phone with each other for hours. And we just fell into this comfortable situation and decided, you know what, we'd, we'd like to explore this. We both like each other. We both seem like a really good fit. Let's see where this goes. So she 
came into Dallas for our first official in-person date, which lasted four days beyond typical lesbian passion, right? <laughs> we went to a baseball game. We went out hiking. We played chess. We were just nerdy and our active outdoor selves. And we had a great time. And that Sunday morning, when I was driving, getting ready to drive her back to the airport, I didn't know she was in the guest room packing up and she had already taken screenshots of my profile to save for posterity and then deleted her account, which kind of irritates me because I didn't get to screenshot her profile, but she was into it. And I was scared thinking, I'd, I don't know, I probably did something to blow this and she's not ever going to want to come back. But after I left her at the airport and was on my way to work, she texted me and said, you know, I'm sitting here at the gate and I just want you to know, I, I deleted my accounts and, and I'd really like to come back sometime. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, am I reading this right? I'd, wait, hold on. Let me, let, let me rub my eyes and make sure I'm seeing this. It just went from there. She came back three weeks later. We had another four-day date. That was our second date. And I took her to get some really cool pictures of the Dallas skyline from the Trinity River Bottoms. And we just had fun hanging out and bumming around town. And it went from there. And it has been easy. And it really feels like God handcrafted her just for me. We are both avid outdoors women. We're both equally yoked educationally. We have the same educational goals. We're both employed and have been with our employers for a while. We own our own homes. We're pet lovers. All the important stuff that helps you just match up. And it didn't feel awkward. I mean, the first date, sure, because you're both nervous. But after that, it just it felt right and good. I'll admit, I think it was 10 minutes after meeting her for the very first time, we were standing at baggage claim waiting for her bag to come out. And I remember thinking to myself, I think this is the girl I'm going to marry. When you know, you know, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but neither one of us want to rush into anything. We were on the same page there. No, no, no. We're, we're not going to, you know, be engaged in three weeks and married in two months. And, no, we're, we're going to take our time and really get to know each other and just make sure this is right. But I, I don't think there was really any question. It's just it, our relationship feels divinely ordained. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh gosh, everyone at church was just so excited to meet her. And they love her. When she's in town, we go to church together. And that was another big thing. I wanted someone with an active faith life who would go to church with me, who would do Bible study with me, who would have faith-based conversations with me. And I, I didn't have that with my previous girlfriend. But this one, she goes to church with me, and, and I have to laugh. We'll walk into church, and everyone goes, Girlfriend. Oh, hi, Marissa. Girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, nine great. Okay. Well, it's, it's fine. You see me every week. You don't see her all that often. But they just took to her immediately and, and fell in love with her. And she fell in love with them. My parents are, I think, super excited about her. In fact, it was a few months ago. We had run by my dad's house. He just lives a couple streets behind me up on my hills in the same neighborhood where I grew up. And we had run over there to drop something off, I think. And she was leaving to go home the next day. So we were standing out there at the front curb talking with dad for a minute. And as we get ready to go, he said, well, come here, let me give you a hug. He's never done that with anyone I've dated. 
forever. And dad is not a super touchy-feely, huggy guy. He's a guy. And guys can't be soft teddy bears. Deep down, he is. If you know him, he's a lushy teddy bear inside. But it, it just, it shocked me in a really good way that he initiated and said, you know, let me give you a hug. Of course, my mom, let me know as soon as she gets there. I'm just going to worry the whole time she's on the road. <laughs> she was really stressing at Thanksgiving to find dishes that were gluten-free. She said, well, you know, I, I don't want her to not be able to eat anything. And so mom came up with this great list of sides. I told her, hey, you know, we'll get the, the ham and a couple sides here if you could you could do blah, blah, blah. And she made them all gluten-free to make sure my girlfriend could have a full Thanksgiving dinner with us. And at some point, we will we'll be married. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I can say that's in our future. Who do you think will ask who? I'm just curious. Oh, I'll ask for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, <laughs> we've, we've already talked about this. I mean, initially it was just kind of, comments in passing and and we've gotten a little more serious about it recently the last six months or so it's important to have conversations like this if you're planning to marry and be together forever you you need to have a good understanding of your relationship and of each other so we've talked about it and we both know she's not good at that sort of thing and i'll come up with something really amazing so it's just a matter of the right time and when you know it's right, you know it's right. And uh, yeah, so that's in this in our future, the timing will see. So I love to hear, and you and I talked about this yesterday, but for the listeners, I'm, they might be kind of curious about how it works long distance wise and how you make that work and then what that might look like and how you decide who's going to move where and all of that stuff. And of course, y'all haven't gotten to that point yet or figured it all out, but you're obviously starting to talk about it. So I just, I thought what you shared yesterday would be fun to talk about. (laughs) It's not as difficult as I always expected long distance to be. It kind of sucks when she goes home after she's been here a week, two weeks, three weeks, and, and I go home after work and the house is empty. But we are so committed to each other and our relationship and making this work that we just do what it takes. I'm flying out there to spend time with her actually two different times in July. She's flown out here a few times. Mostly she drives. And the great thing is she works 100% remote, full-time. So she can drive out here and spend two, three weeks a month. She just brings the dog with her. And she works from the house while I'm at work, which is great. We don't get in each other's way. Then I come home, we make dinner, we have a great time together. It's a great way to dip your toes into the water to see, hey, is this something we could do long term? Does this work? And it works very well, I can say, but we're intentional. We're very intentional about making time for each other. We FaceTime when we can because face-to-face, well, it's, it's not as, as good as in person, but if that's all you've got. Is certainly better than just a phone call or texting. But we do have phone calls. We do text. We're in touch daily. Hey, how's your day going? Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened over here. We do Bible study twice a week. We, we FaceTime and just work our way through the Bible. And that's, I think that's what makes it work. We both want it to. We're both very invested in the other. We both care deeply about each other. We both see a future together. 
And relationships take work. Easy as this has been, I mean, it's just, it feels like it's been an absolute cakewalk with her, but it, it still takes work. And we are more than happy, more than willing to put that work in, whatever it needs to be. So I guess, you know, this works really well since she can work remote, but I guess if she wasn't able to work remote, do you think that the long distance thing would work? I'm just curious because I feel like it's more common, the long distance thing with with lesbians in particular, gay couples, I guess. And I'm not sure why that is, maybe just because there's not as many of us. And so sometimes you have to go outside of your state to find someone. But yeah. So for those who might be doing the long distance thing, do you think that it works mainly because she's remote and able to come down for two and three weeks at a time working from her laptop or? It certainly helps. I mean, it is a huge, huge help for us. I think even if we both worked on site 100%, we would find a way to make it work because we are, are so committed and invested and you will do what it takes. I'm certainly very thankful that she works remote 100%. I, I think that was, you know, some divine intervention there. And we, we have talked a little bit, who moves where. I think we both acknowledge that there's more for us here in Dallas versus where she is. She's in a, a smaller area. And I've got my parents here and the church. She doesn't have a, a church community where she is. Her community, the folks she's around is is pretty small. So I, I think it just makes sense for her to move here, but it's a really, really big ask. And so that's something that we'll have to sit down and have a far more serious discussion about, you know, what are our options? What do we do? In the meantime, I have been putting together a list of all the reasons that she needs to move to Dallas. And we are up to, I believe, 126. In a conversation, she was joking about this with me a few days ago. She just threw out some arbitrary number, like 142. And I told her, I'll get to that. If that's the number, if that's the magic number, that's the goal I have to hit to get you to move to Dallas. I will get to 142. <laughs> and I think at that point, I was at 114. And now I'm at 126. So, okay, yeah, I will get there. <laughs> yeah, that's not that that much more. So I think you'll get there yeah. as well. So, like, what is she saying? That once you do get to 142, then she'll move? Or <laughs> that she'll at least... I hope I can meet her at some point. And Oh, so, yeah. You're, yeah. You're going to love her. You'll love her. The good thing, too, right now is I'm actually retirement eligible. I've, I've been with my employer for 20 years, and I was eligible to retire as of this past January. So I've got the option to go ahead and retire now, look for another job that's 100% remote, and maybe we're out there where she is during June, July, August when it's so hot in Texas, and then we're back here the rest of the time. We've got some options. Oh, that helps. But, you know, we're, we're going to make a decision mutually that works the best for our relationship. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know we're going to figure it out one way or another. And, and I will do whatever I have to do to keep her in my life. I, I do fully intend to spend the rest of my days with her. Oh, that's so cute and so sweet. <laughs> she's sweet. She's kind and she's 
thoughtful and she's funny and she is intense and driven and accomplished and tried, but I don't think there are words in any language on earth that adequately describe just how amazing she is. She is a true gift. She's a treasure. And that's probably a good place to <laughs> end on. <laughs> but before we go, was there, do you have any last words of encouragement maybe for someone who is going through this coming out process or trying to find a church or trying to talk to their family or trying to find a significant other or whatever? Wow. Oh gosh, that's a lot. I would say community. First and foremost, community. Find people you can be with, who you can talk to honestly and openly, who genuinely care about you. For me, that's, that's my church family. I can be vulnerable with them. And that's a lot for me. If you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm an eight and I am a strong eight. So vulnerability is not in my vocabulary, <laughs> but I've worked through it and I'm at a point now where I can be completely vulnerable with these people. And I know that they are going to hold me in love and care. So community of, of any kind, whatever you find, whether it's hobbies and interests, a, a cycling group or something like that, or a church, find a community. You can't be alone. The Bible even says that it's not good for us to be alone. And then read, read books, read blogs, Justin Lee's Torn, Matthew Vine's God Like a Christian, Karen Keene's books, Kathy Baldock's Walking the Bridges Canyon. Those are great. And then just hold on to hope. If you're having issues with your family and they've pushed you out, you're not talking, that doesn't mean this is what it's going to look like 10, 20 years down the road. Things could change. It may not, and for some folks it doesn't, but it can. That possibility is there. And I'm living proof of that. In terms of finding a significant other, just keep at it and hold the faith and don't reduce your standards just to find someone. There has been talk. My standards are too high and I'm too picky. And this isn't by anyone I know. It's a friend of a friend. I'm not going to apologize for that. My standards are my standards and I expect this. And it's not impossible because these are the standards I have for myself and I meet them. And you know what? My girlfriend meets all those standards. I had my list of must-haves, must be gainfully employed, must have a faith life. And then there are the nice-to-haves, right? Well, she checks all the must-haves. I mean, right off the bat, right out the gate, must-haves, done. And then she checks all the likes-to-have. And then she drew more boxes and checked those off. And I, I waited. And I did not betray my standards. And I held firm and I found the absolute most perfect woman for me. Mm. So that would be my advice. Stay true to yourself and your own standards. Yeah. And, and it took you a year, as I understand it, to on mm -hmm. all these apps. So yeah, yeah. And I had been in, in three long-term relationships prior to that, but they were not viable for various reasons. Uh, so it's it's taken many, many years, but this last slog was about a year on all of the apps and sites. So, Simultaneously? Yes. There was one week I had a date with three different women, one on Wednesday, one on Friday, one on Saturday. <laughs> and I felt like the biggest hoe. Oh. <laughs> 
but you know, that's what you do. And, and I wasn't exclusive to anyone at that point. I was just meeting people for the first time. Hey, let's get together over dinner and drinks. Let's learn a little bit about each other. Is there a connection there? You know, it's just what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And none of them, did you have a second date with any of them? One, but I knew fairly early on that it wasn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. There were little red flags that popped up after the other, and nothing huge, huge. Not like, oh, yeah, I've been to prison for bank robbery, but just some little things. And I thought, okay, if you're not going to tell me the whole truth about this mm-hmm. and just kind of ease into it, that's a problem. Communication is big for me. And and we need to be able to communicate very openly and honestly with each other. So she she actually ghosted me, one of many, which is okay. It's okay. I I understand now why everything in the past did not work out. Mm-hmm. And I am so grateful. I am eternally thankful that nothing worked out until my girlfriend came along. And maybe that's something that the listeners need to keep in mind, and myself included. If something doesn't work out, someone ghosts you, whatever the situation is, that's probably a good thing. It's just another a stepping stone or rung on the ladder to get you where you're supposed to be. So, Exactly. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today and your openness and vulnerability in sharing your story. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. I invite you to dive deeper into conversations from this podcast. Join our community on Slack. Here, you can connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, and engage in meaningful discussions. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be answered on the podcast. Together, let's build a supportive space and shape the future of the show. Join us at lesbihonest.com dot show forward slash slack see on the inside